Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio Wednesdays at 5pm for Brainwaves, Melbourne's drive-time radio show. Giving voice to people with mental illness. One in five have a mental illness, but five in five can enjoy this great program featuring heartwarming stories, great information and some laughs as well. Find us at 3CR. 855 on your AM dial. Sponsored by Mental Illness Fellowship of Victoria. Hi there, you're listening into Brainwaves on 3CR, 8.55am, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. This week on Brainwaves, we're talking to Sylvia Gray, President and Co-Founder of Hero Town Geelong, an organisation that aims to empower individuals to develop their best selves and to become an everyday hero. In the studio today, we have Alana and Helen interviewing, and so we're going to jump straight into our interview with Sylvia now. Right, um, take it away, guys. <laughs> um, could you just tell us in a little bit of detail um, about Hero Town and the work that you do? Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys, by the way. And uh, so Hero Town is focused on empowering everyday heroes. And essentially that means that we're dedicated to educating, to inspiring and supporting individuals to create a positive difference either for themselves, for the community or for the world at large. Um, so what that might look like in a practical application is um, for young people responding to bullying in schools. Uh, in the workplace, it might be whistleblowing. Uh, it could be about reaching out to help someone who's in crisis, and, and that might be a mental health crisis, or acting to prevent something that causes future harm. Uh, so specifically, we deliver three different programs, which are hero training, mindfulness, and mental health first aid. Great. And what first motivated you to create the organization? Yeah, so a couple of years ago, we are a fairly new organization uh, in that we've been going for about two years now. But I had the opportunity to meet some really incredible people in the space of heroism, uh, from researchers to educators. Uh, And I did this at the Hero Roundtable uh, in Michigan, which, which is run by Matt Langdon. And I was really inspired by the work that they do, and I thought, you know, this is amazing, and I want to contribute in some sort of meaningful way. And from there, I had the chance to connect with Dr. Philip Zimbardo. Uh, Some of you guys might know who he is. Uh, Philip Zimbardo did the Stanford Prison Experiment back in the 70s, Uh, and it was essentially this experiment where they took 24 really average guys um, and randomly divided them into two groups, half of them became prison guards and the other half were prisoners. It was meant to run for two weeks and um, they put the, the participants into the basement of the Stanford University, which they had done up to resemble a prison. And uh, they basically just said go. They gave them their uniforms and sat back and watched what happened. Uh, it had to be cancelled after six days because there were some pretty scary things happening and um, the prisoners were sort of drunk on the power and, and abuses were happening to the uh, prisoners. So um, they had to step in and it became really renowned for, you know, having some questionable ethics. Uh, and Dr. Zimbardo became quite renowned within the field of social psychology. 
since then, uh, he's devoted his life, though, to understanding heroism. So if we now understand how easy it is to create a situation where good people, average people, will do bad things, how do we put that on its head? How do we help to empower people to stand up and do the right thing and, and push back against those forces? Uh, so he founded the Heroic Imagination Project, which is based in San Francisco. Um, and like I said, I had a chance to meet him, and I said, this is amazing, you know, how can I help out? What can I do from Australia? And he said, it doesn't exist in Australia. And so um, thankfully, I have an incredible network um, of friends who all jumped in and volunteered. They're passionate about giving back to the community. And so we founded the organization, and we've brought the training here to Australia. Um your organization is unusual in a way that um, it provides assistance to people with and without mental illness. Um, did you deliberately set out to create an organization with such a broad focus? It's a really good question, actually. Um, this is something that we're asked, you know, quite a lot about uh, in, in varying ways, you know, uh, who exactly is it that you work with? <laughs> because it is really everyone. Um, our original focus was to bring practical skills from existing knowledge uh, in the fields, of, in the various fields of psychology, so social psychology in particular. Uh, and what we wanted to do was to really break down that information um, and help to give it back to the general public so that they could use it and in a way that creates a better world. Um, so initially we started with social psychology and heroism and uh, built off the work of Dr. Zimbardo and the Heroic Imagination Project. But at our first training courses, we started hearing that the concerns of people in our community here were focused on mental illness or a mental health crisis, and how do we respond effectively to that? There was quite a lot of concern about that and anxiety around that. We started doing some more research from there uh, about our region and discovered that uh, we have higher rates of psychological distress and mental illness. Um, Karengamite, which is the, the um, electoral area for our region, has the second highest rate of suicide in the country. Uh, and then the Surf Coast Shire down uh, in Turkey in that region came out with the results of their youth survey, which essentially said that young people really are crying out for support around mental health. And we thought, well, of course, there's no way we can sit back and, and let this you know, go unanswered. But we're also a small community, a small organization uh, with not much funding. So how are we going to how are we going to address this? Um, but thankfully, again, my team is really amazing, and we don't give up when things seem hard or overwhelming. So we started doing some research and found Mental Health First Aid. And Mental Health First Aid is a program that is similar to our hero training uh, in that it takes, you know, these psychological concepts and, and really breaks them down uh, and applies practical skills to them. So how do we recognize mental illness and, and mental health concerns and crises? And then how, most importantly, how do we respond to that? And so uh, we decided that our passion was going to be upskilling communities around us so that they're more aware, that they have you know a greater knowledge of what mental illness is, and that they're developing really practical skills to support one another. So that's sort of how it all came together. And when I reflect on that, I also think about part of our mission, which is that we're increasing everyone's perspective of who belongs in their community. So we're saying, instead of when you think of the word community, not just thinking about you know the, your neighbors, the people in the street, or um, you know at your uni or at school, 
or even the people living in your same postcode, but to think more broadly and that the more people that you include in your definition of community, then the less likely we are to see division, the less likely we are likely we are to see negativity towards one another, you know, bias and discrimination, uh, and ultimately violence as well. So we've never actually made that distinction between helping individuals with or without a mental illness. For us, it's about, you know, helping everyone in our community and that everyone's equally valued. Does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, cool. it almost answers the next next question, which was, um, um, but yeah, obviously you do think it's important that we do what we can to enhance everyone's mental health rather than only focusing on people who meet the criteria for mental illness. Yeah, absolutely. And when we look at this, uh, we look at it from a number of different levels. So at an individual level, obviously education, education is really important for early intervention. And then early intervention is the best way to prevent, you know, the lifelong impacts that come with having uh, a mental illness, especially, you know, if it starts early in someone's life. So as we know, prevention is way better than a cure. Um, so again, knowing how to look after ourselves and how important self-care is, we think these are really critical skills for everyone to have. And the earlier we learn them, the better. But then we also look at it on sort of that broader societal level and that if we're acting to improve the mental health of everyone in the population, we're improving productivity. You know, we're, we're boosting the economy. We're potentially breaking down those generational patterns of poor mental health or, or poor mental health literacy and and the subsequent impacts that that has on both families, uh, you know, individuals in society, and that when we're modeling to others the way that they can look after their own mental well-being and really how important it is, and we start to break down some of the stigma, which then, you know, continues that empowering approach uh, to everyone empowering, uh, to everyone prioritizing their mental well-being, and that there's no shame in seeking help. Um, so we do know that here at town... Um aims to support people to tackle like a range of different things from like nervousness about public speaking to protecting rainforests and refugees Uh, our society often focuses on the individual causes of mental illness um, from exams to chemical imbalances but would you think that we often forget about the impact that broader world issues can have on a person's well-being Oh, absolutely. And that's another really great question. Um, So a lot of my team are uh, psychology students or have studied psychology in the past. And so we look at this from a biopsychosocial model, which means that we recognize that there are biological factors that play into what causes and and what contributes to mental illness. Um, There are psychological factors and then there are social and environmental factors. Um, So there's certainly a, a number of them. And the way that they interact with one another can be quite profound. And sometimes the discussion, as you say, is, is around individual factors. You know, we, we only look at the individual and what's going on for them, but not necessarily recognizing what's happening around them. So the impacts of bullying or uh, the impacts of unemployment or homelessness, um, social networks and those sorts of things are all really important. Um, and, and to give someone, I guess, an example, if you, if you haven't heard of the biopsychosocial model before, uh, it's thinking about how those factors are all related rather than saying, you know, this, this one thing happened because of someone's genetics or something like that. It's recognizing that, for example, how someone sees the world uh, and what, how they think, so that psycho- psychological perspective, uh, impacts how they might engage with social networks. And then that in turn impacts how those social networks 
might it might engage with them and so then that becomes a social factor and you can see how they can begin to compound on one another yeah wow sorry have you finished oh yes sorry okay yeah um could you please tell us about um your everyday hero training sure so it's broken into three primary components and it's really customizable because uh, we've got it, you know, in schools at the moment, and so they need to be able to deliver it in shorter pieces, uh, or we can go out and deliver it in workplaces where they might have a day or three days or something like that. So we've made it really customizable. Uh, and the three components are the hero's journey, uh, mindset, and social resilience. Now, with the hero's journey, some people may be familiar with that as a literary device. It's uh, how some authors will tell stories and, and move a character through the plot. Um, but the author, the person who sort of discovered the hero's journey and wrote most prolifically about it, uh, Joseph Campbell, argues that really the power in the hero's journey is then turning that on ourselves and recognizing that life isn't just this random series of wild ups and downs and that we can't predict anything, um, but that there is a bit of a pattern to it. And that when we begin to understand that pattern, we can redefine our past and, and better understand what happened for us in the past. But we're also better able to understand what's going on for us right here and right now, and then that helps us to prepare for the future and, and to build some resilience. That's the first component. The second is mindset, and that's about how to face challenges and, and how to face learning opportunities and what it means to fail and how we can reshape you know, that experience of failure and it doesn't have to be the end of the world. Uh, and then the third component is around social resilience, and this is where a lot of Dr. Zimbardo's work comes in around the bystander effect. So the bystander effect is essentially when uh, if something happens that's questionable, it could be an emergency or we could just be trying to figure out what's going on, um, the more people there are in that environment, the less likely it is that someone's going to help, which really seems counterintuitive. But it's been proven again and again. And there are a number of different factors that play into that. And so we talk about how do we overcome those factors? How do we recognize what they are? And then how do we overcome them? And then bring all of those three together uh, to empower people to step up and do the right thing uh, as they, you know, as they navigate their world. Um, I just wanted to ask about the way people act when they're placed in uh, certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, in recent years, there have been... Um, different types of videos of passers-by ignoring the suffering of seriously injured people. Uh, Would you, would we like to think that when we're placed in those situations, we would respond more heroically? Mm -hmm. Um, But would we? (laughs) That's a really, really good question. (laughs) Um, And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but um, all of the evidence indicates that as much as we would love to be that person and to think that we would be that person, the chances are probably not. Um, there are so many factors that go in and we don't really know how we're going to respond until we're in that moment. But usually when we're in that moment, so much else is going on for us that we're not able to process it fast enough and to react fast enough. Um, and so the default becomes going with what everyone else is doing and everyone else is sort of standing around, you know, not knowing what to do, trying to assess the situation or pretending like they don't see it, you know. Um, so it's not that the, the one thing I really want to stress, though, is that it's not about personal character. So we were talking earlier about with mental health, how it's, you know, multifaceted. The same thing uh, carries with heroism, that this isn't about someone not having the strength of will or anything like that, that, you know, they just don't have it within them to be a hero. 
it's a combination of what's going on for them at the time. So it might be, you know, that they have a really important meeting to get to or something like that. Um, who are they with and, and are they concerned about putting those other people at risk if they were to step up? Um, and if they did step up and help someone, then what does that mean for them? Are they going to put themselves at risk and, and are they willing to prepare to put themselves at that level of risk? Um, but also then what's everyone else doing around them? And if other people aren't acting, well, maybe they know more about this situation than I do. Um, so it's, it, it's really quite fascinating how much goes into that little snapshot of a situation. And I'm reminded of a quote um, by an older philosopher, and I'm sorry, I forgot his name now, but uh, it, it is that we don't rise to the level, level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Um, and I think that's really powerful because it, it indicates uh, you know, that we fall back on the things that we have planned and prepared for, which is why we think that hero training is so important. Because the, in the training, we talk about what are all the potential hurdles and barriers and how do we plan for them, but also how do we practice to overcome them. Uh, however, I know that a lot of people, when they hear this message, they think, oh, gosh, that's so much going on. Um, one of the key things really is to remember the bystander effect and to be willing to be a positive deviant and so by that you know being the first person who sort of breaks the spell on everyone else so step up and do something um even if you don't know first aid or something like that once that first person steps up we're more likely to see other people follow them so we have to be willing to stand out of the crowd and start getting comfortable being uncomfortable um could you tell us a bit about the mental health first aid training course absolutely um, so it, there's a couple of different versions of the course, and uh, I think the one that I'll talk about first is the Youth Mental Health First Aid, because this is the program that we have the greatest amount of interest for. Uh, the youth program focuses on teaching adults how to assist young people who are developing a mental health problem or experiencing a mental health crisis. Uh, so when we're talking about young people, really, we're talking about sort of that age range from 10 to 24, which is quite a, quite a big age range. Uh, and we talk about things like um, what is adolescent development, what's normal adolescent development, and how does that differ from signs or symptoms of a possible mental illness? Because so much is going on for young people. You know, how do we know what sort of quote unquote normal or what we should be worried about? Uh, and then we talk about different disorders, so depression, anxiety, psychosis, uh, eating disorders, and substance misuse. And then, of course, the crises that I mentioned earlier. So it might be around thoughts of suicide or uh, trauma, aggression, uh, someone experiencing a psychotic episode or using non-suicidal self-injury. So we process all of that. We talk about you know how to recognize them, but importantly, how do we respond in those circumstances? And so we have, similar to first aid, we have an, an action plan on how to respond in those circumstances. And I think that's probably the most important part of it. There are a couple of other mental health first aid programs that are focused on specific circumstances. So it might be uh, mental health first aid in the workplace or uh, how specifically to respond to someone that you're concerned about suicide um, rather than the entire course. But that youth mental health first aid course that covers so much tends to be the more popular option. Um, just in your opinion, how important is it that we identify the early signs of mental health problems and do you go through these signs in your first aid course? I know you spoke about, um, just then about your youth course. Mm -hmm. um, do you go into detail about mental health and these uh, early signs? 
Yeah, absolutely. Very good question. We definitely do cover it in the mental health first aid course because if we're going to respond to a young person, we have to know what it is that we're looking for. Um, so we talk about what are the different symptoms and how they relate to each of the different disorders. And we're not, um, sometimes people get a bit overwhelmed and think, oh my gosh, that is so much to learn with all those different disorders. But we're not focusing on, you know, enough information so that you could diagnose someone. It's definitely not about diagnosis. Otherwise, it'd be a four-year course at a university. (laughs) But instead, what we're talking about is, you know, just recognizing the clusters of symptoms so that you might have a better understanding of what might be going on for the young person. And specifically, how is that different to normal everyday behavior? Um, And and to come back to that first part of your question, which I think was um, how important it is to respond early, I think it's really, really critical because if a concern isn't addressed early, then perhaps um, strategies and coping strategies we put in place by the person experiencing it, that may not be the most helpful. And then the longer that they have those coping strategies, you know, potentially the more harm that is happening for them. Um, And unfortunately, the risk is that there could be lifelong effects on everything ranging from education to employment, overall quality of life. Uh, they, they may be at risk of developing other disorders or experiencing more frequent episodes or more severe episodes of the illness that they're experiencing. And particularly when we're talking about young people, you know, I gave a huge age range there of 10 to 24, but still all throughout that young people are experiencing a lot of physical and brain development. And if we're not intervening early to support them in developing, you know, healthy coping strategies and, and ways to get on the path to recovery, then that could have a significant impact on their physical and brain development. And then naturally that's going to have an impact on the rest of their lives. So I think early intervention is really critical. Do you know of cases where um, training provided by Hero Town has empowered people to respond to mental health problems before the situation has become dire? Yeah, these are... (laughs) I can't help but smile when I hear that question because these are the stories really that keep us going and it's the whole purpose of why we do what we do. Um, So for example, one of our participants attended the course that is specific to supporting someone with thoughts of suicide and it's a five-hour course specifically on that. So how do we recognize those warning signs? How do we address it? You know, there's so much fear and misinformation out there about suicide. So how do we uh, raise that as someone who isn't a trained professional? And then a lot of practice on, on it asking questions, the right questions, and so on, and supporting someone. And so um, this person who attended the course, uh, it was essentially completely foreign to her. Uh, she had no experience, no background in psychology, and no, none in her family had any history of suicide or thoughts of suicide or even mental illness, if I'm remembering right. And so for her, it was, it was very um, different. It was almost theoretical still for her at an ad arm's length. Um, but she attended the course and she engaged with it really well. And since then, she's gone on to have multiple discussions with her friends and family members who she's become concerned about because now she's able to recognize those signs and symptoms that perhaps were being ignored previously. Um, and she's having, she has told me that she feels that her relationships with these, these people, since she's been able to have these conversations, they're a lot deeper um, and that the other person, you know, really values them more than, than they had before because they know that they can come and talk to her. And that she feels more comfortable to have the conversation because she knows who to link them in with. You know, we talked about 
appropriate professional supports and linking them in with the right people. So there's not this panic of, oh my goodness, you know, now that I know that this person's thinking about suicide, it's all on me to help them. Instead, she knows how and where to link them in with someone else. Um, so it's really heartwarming for me because, like I said, that's really the whole point of why we do this, and you know, to save and change lives for the better. Um, so just lastly, mm-hmm. um, how can people get involved in Hero Town, and how can they get more information on the courses that you provide and just general information about um, your organization? Sure. Probably the best and easiest way is to check out our website, which is herotown.com.au. Uh, the cor- the, sorry, the website in- contains information about all of our courses, um, whether you want to attend as an individual or if you have a group who might be interested. And it includes you know, details on how to reach out to us as well. And I'd be more than happy to take your call or email. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much, Sylvia, for coming onto the show today. We'll make sure that all of your links and stuff are up on our podcast page as well so that everyone can find out more about Hero Town. Thank you so much. Thank you to both of you, Alana and Helen, and to everyone at the team for making this happen today. Yeah, not a problem. Thank Thank you. you. (laughs) Um, So you can find more of our shows at brainwaves.org.au and on 3cr.org.au or on iTunes. Next week, we'll be recognizing both World Suicide Prevention Day as well as Are You OK Day on the show. So tune in next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Up next, we have Renegade Economists. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.